Hello and welcome to the Talking Guitar podcast brought to you by the North American Guitar, the home of the world's finest guitars. In this episode, we had the pleasure of speaking with the one and only master, Irvin Samoji, about the future of guitar making, his journey into Luthery, and of course, creating that legendary Samoji sound. Hello. Okay, Irvin. How are you? Is he Ben? Well, I'm fine. I'm happy to actually see you face to face. I'm very happy to see you face to face. I've got to tell you, Irvin, that is the greatest hat I've ever seen. (laughs) I mean, I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, um, that's the greatest. That's the greatest hat I've ever seen. I wish. I wish this manages in some mysterious way. It manages to get a lot of attention. I, I don't understand it. Yes, it's a mystery. <laughs> so, how, uh, well, this is such an honor. Thank you so much for stopping by to do this Talking Guitar podcast. I know you're very busy and um, we've gone back for, on many occasions, back and forth trying to, well, AC a, a each other, but also speak yeah, to each other. Absolutely, yes, 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 yes. Well, it's my pleasure as well. Can and you hear me clearly? I can hear you beautifully, absolutely beautifully. I'm looking forward to you breaking out into song any second now. Uh, my costumer is uh, a little late with sewing the, 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 the sequins, but I'll see what I can do. So, um, well, how, I think the first question that I wanted to ask you um, was how is, how is everything where you are at the moment with the, lo- are you in lockdown at all or? Um, How's this sort of uh, this pandemic? City, this city and the county are, they have um, decreed uh, cessation of lots of meetings in restaurants and, uh, you know, businesses. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if the curfew is in effect or not, but um, I, this country, as you probably know, is experiencing a mix of people who are deadly afraid of this and uh, who sort of resent the intrusion of the virus into their lives and they'll just as soon keep on going as usual. So mm. they're not gonna bother to wear masks. They're not gonna bother not see friends and family. And um, well, it's, it's insane here, just really insane. Yeah. It might be the same in England, what with um, uh, Boris Johnson, but I have no idea. Well, we're 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 in a full uh, we're in a full lockdown yet again here, which is um, okay. which is that uh, must well. You know what? Actually, funny enough, um, I think that because we've got quite an engaged audience online, and we do so much stuff online with all the videos and the blogs and these kind yeah. of podcasts, that um, it, you know, I think most of our customers and people that like going on the website are. Um, are kind of online a lot more, you know, everybody's online a lot more. So um, in, it, definitely there's been, you've had to change a few things and had to focus uh, on, we did this cool thing called the Academy, which where we, we got some great players like Tony McManus and I'm sure you know of, and, and a few oh, other yeah. Re- yeah. really just great players. And we, we got them to um, uh, do like a six, did six mini lessons and we gave them away as uh, for, for free little lessons um, um, on our newsletter, which people have really enjoyed. So we're just trying to think outside the box really for, for 
people to come on the site and engage with us and, and look at lovely guitars, really. Yeah, I like Tony quite a bit. He came to visit uh, on one of his tours through, <clears throat> and we were going to spend a morning together chatting about this, that, and the other. And he had his wife and daughter with him. And I asked them if they really were interested in listening to shop talk. And they said, oh, no, not really. So I took them to the best shopping area in Berkeley, left them there for two hours, and then went to pick them back up. Everybody was happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's one, he's one hell of a player and a wonderful human being. So, um, yeah, it was, it's great to have him in the store. So um, what, about, uh, what about you? Has it affected your... Have you been busier? Or, you know, I know how busy you always are, but has, have you noticed... Has it been more customers getting in touch with you? No, with me, it's, it's a fairly steady drip of whatever you want to call it. <laughs> uh, 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 a stream of, of inquiries. I don't have people beating my door down. Every now and then somebody orders a guitar or wants to have a serious talk. It doesn't really speed up much or slow down much um, compared to that. And I have, I'm overwhelmed. I have way too much work to do anyway. So I'm happy to have people stay away from the shop. Yeah. Um, because I can use the time better. And I'm using a lot of my time these days to finish my second book, which yeah. takes a lot of time and attention. I, I can only uh, imagine. I mean, I've got, yeah. I've got them right here. Um, and they're right next to me. They're in my bookshelf. There they are. That's them. <laughs> That's, That's them. Here they are. <laughs> you should, you should, um, they're a heavy set. You should buy two of them and use them as bookends for the books that you actually do read. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so, so um, and how is the how is the new book going? I mean, you are you sort of at the, at the beginning of it, halfway through it, nearing the end. Past the hump, past the peak, headed toward the finish line, but still there's, there's many, many, many details to, to take mm -hmm. care of. And um, I'm gonna have a lot of images and I need to do something I didn't have to do for my other book, which is to find people who took those pictures and get mm -hmm. permission to use them, oh. which that's very time consuming. Well, you know, it, it, well, I know that we got, we've, we've had, we've been fortunate enough to have three of your phenomenal guitars come through um, the, the UK store, um, including those beautiful studio models, uh, which absolutely stole my heart, as well as the, um, we had a gorgeous MD for, for a customer that um, came through. And we've got some amazing pictures of those. So you're more, I'm more than welcome to email those over to you and you can use them, absolutely. Well, do you mind if I take pictures off the uh, email uh, announcements that you send me of what's for sale, and I can use some of those? Yeah, well, I tell you what would be even better is I'll, ju I'll just get um, I'll, I'll get a whole bunch of photos of those guitars, and I'll just get them put into a folder and send them to you, and then you've got them there as your own. Wait until I send you an email to let you know what I need. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Well, I we're just honoured to honoured to help in any way whatsoever. Um, so, and I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but um, with 
that'll be the is that your, that's your third book that you're well uh, no my second two volume set right okay <laughs> okay yeah yeah <laughs> so it'll be a fourth really <laughs> uh one might yes the, that math works <laughs> god thank god for that um and um but do you it, it, what's going to be in this what are you going to be focusing on this because it going to be more of a, a history of you as a builder because i know that that's something that we would love to love to read and and listen to i, know I listened to a great podcast that you did with uh, michael bashkin um i think last year i'm a big fan and, and, a, and, a, and a, a dear friend of uh, well he's a dear friend of mine uh, of michael's and i love i love that that podcast and um, you do you go into any detail about yourself in the books i'm frankly undecided as to where to draw the line the genesis of this project came about <clears throat> from a whole bunch of correspondence that followed the first book People wrote me asking questions, making comments, uh, uh, providing additional information, uh, uh, commentaries, questions. So I had a lot of material after a while that was perfectly interesting. Mm. And I thought I could, you know, put it between covers. And every, every um, topic that I thought about could involve me and my personal history. I've got a lot of technical stuff uh, and really interesting technical stuff that I think would appeal to the average person who is not an engineer, you know. Mm. Um, but I don't know really how interesting my life is to people who just want to know how to build a guitar. Oh, I don't know about that because there's so, because that makes, that makes you and makes the guitars that you created. That would be my my view. I mean, I think that the history of how you got into guitar building and all of that is, yeah, of course. And and you this gave some great stories to Michael in that podcast. So I won't sort of ask you to go around those questions again. But I think that that you know that that makes the that makes up for where where you are and, and how you created your tone. That you know you're known as being the godfather of. The acoustic guitar so i think people would love to hear that you know when i started out i had no idea where i'd be umpteen years from that point i'm surprised none of this was planned really i just wanted to make guitars and um, i seem to have a kind of mind that inquires and uh, wants to know what's going on here what what is this part for? What, uh, you know, I did the same thing on these guitars, but they sound different. Now, what's going on? And um, I like analyzing, evidently more than a lot of other people do. And um, I like to write. And when I first began to go to GAL conventions many, many years ago, I went as just me. Um, and I was surprised that people would come up to me and ask questions. So I guess I must have projected some sort of knowledgeable professorial aura. I have no idea. I didn't really know much more than they did, but they asked. So I began to think about this because I didn't want to look like a fool and say, <laughs> well, 
you know, I can tell you authoritatively, I don't know that. <laughs> but was there, was there, I always want to ask you this, was there ever a, a, a sort of an, an aha moment, you know what I mean? Like when the light bulb goes off, goes off when you're, when you were working through your, the, your instruments that you suddenly realized that you could either push a set of wood to do things that other guitars that you'd played or heard hadn't done before that, that opened up that inquisitive mind of yours? Well, maybe I can answer your question in the following way. I built my first guitar in 1970. And um, between this, this, that, and the other, uh, wound up in a little um, storefront space on Telegraph Avenue in Berkeley, which was a guitar shop that I worked in. I didn't really know anything, but I was making guitars. I'd failed to find other kinds of remunerative work because as I applied for all these things, I was overqualified for some, underqualified for some, outcompeted for the rest of them, and nobody's hiring much in those days. So I made guitars, which was okay. Um, in 1977, I was invited to participate as an exhibiting luthier at the uh, classic, the Carmel Classic Guitar Festival, which was a big deal. It attracted people from all over this country and even from Europe. And I was one of seven exhibiting guitar makers. And I entered that event with a somewhat cocky attitude because, oh, ho, here I am. I'm doing this really cool thing and my friends all think it's great. And, and uh, how can I fail to impress everybody? It was a disaster. Uh, it, uh, my guitars were literally the worst and most amateurish of anything being shown. And uh, it was revealed in public uh, that uh, this guy, you know, the kindest thing we can say is there's a lot of room for improvement, you know. I, I was humiliated by that. I was very depressed for several weeks afterwards because I didn't know what had happened. My friends had been no help whatsoever in their, in their uh, compliments and support, but they didn't know anything either. So nothing useful could come from them. And um, it was clear to me that, you know, I really needed to do better work or just bail out. That was a moment of great clarity for me. And it was also the moment at which I realized for the first time Oh, you know, I, I really like doing this work. I should pay better attention. That was turning the corner. Because up until then, I'd been, oh, you know, living out this hippie fantasy, sort of, yeah. and making nice things. But I hadn't connected myself to it until that disaster. So that was one of the best bad things that ever happened to me. And, and was it, and so after that, was it the journey of sort of tone or was it, because obviously your aesthetics are, you know, awe-inspiring and we see them throughout the guitar industry now. So... Well, I certainly what, was paying better. No, go on, go on. Well, no, I was just going to say, you know, was it, was it then, because it was that moment, that, that pivotal moment where you said, okay, I either... I either go one way or I go another. And you, and you decided that you were gonna, you wanted to get make better guitars because you loved making them so much. So did, was that 
I've got to make a better sounding guitar or is it I've got to make them look prettier because everybody at the show had such great craftsmanship? Well, uh, up until then, I've been making mostly classical guitars and flamenco guitars. Because you're a flamingo player, aren't you? Um, I play flamenco, yes. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know, that music sank its harpoon into me a long, long time ago. Yeah. Really <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was making classical guitars because you can actually make a living making those, whereas making flamenco guitars is the surest path to starvation. Those people, <laughs> they, they don't have any money. And what money they do, they spend on Galois cigarettes and, and, and wine, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> and as you probably know, <clears throat> the classical guitar crowd is really quite disciplined. It's a very hierarchical mindset mm. where the teacher is the authority. And a number of times I've had classical guitar players come into my shop, you know, that old shop, and look at one of my new guitars. And they'd say the most astonishing thing to me. They'd say, hey, um, could I borrow this and take it home with me and show it to my teacher? Now that's no steel string guitar player would ever think of saying something like that. But these people have been taught that they have no opinions to count. The teacher's opinion is the yeah. one that you, have, you have to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And these people are really critical. I mean, they'll find fault with anything that you do, uh, unless it's completely perfect and perfect plus. So I had it in mind that I had to please some players at least, at this point in time that I'm describing. And um, it was also at that point that I began to make steel string guitars because I was mostly making my living by doing repairs. And I was meeting a lot of guitar players and a lot of them played steel string guitar. I just hadn't much paid attention to that before. Um, and uh, I showed a guitar once to a classical guitar player, a fairly prominent one, uh, a guitar that I'd spent, you know, hundreds of hours on. And uh, he played it and uh, played a few chords and notes on it. And then in a very um, desultory way said, well, you know, your, your B string is weak. Gee, thanks, dude. Uh, that's really <laughs> neat. Uh, whereas with the steel string guitar people, uh, you know, I'd show them a guitar that I made, which wasn't the world's best, but I'd made it. And they would greet me with, holy shit, you made that? You made that <laughs> guitar? God, that's wonderful. It's kind of a no-brainer, you know, as to which direction I should go in. And um, the first GAL convention I went to after that disastrous uh, classic car, uh, I'm repressing the memory, the Carmel Classic Guitar Festival. Yeah. The first GAL convention I went to, I took one of my new steel string guitars. And Richard Schneider, who was the um, um, co-originator of the Kasha guitars, mm -hmm. was at that convention. And he had taken the trouble to organize some listening tests. Um, very well-structured and thought-out listening tests which I thought, well, why not? Uh, let's see how my guitar does. It was one of the best. And that really surprised me 
because that was about tone, not about workmanship. Yeah. So I, I needed that boost because it got me to thinking that, oh, well, I've hit on something. How do I do that? And what's that all about? And um, that propelled me into a long and interesting career of failures and successes. And what was the what was the first guitar that you took there? Was it was it just a was it a dreadnought? What was the body shape? Yes, it but, was a dreadnought. I mean, in those and, days, that was the steel string guitar. Yeah, and 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 had you um, had you done had you sort of uh, having worked on so many guitars um, for sort of setup work and and um, servicing yeah. guitars had had you had time to kind of work out where, where you were trying to manipulate the tone and what you what, what you wanted it to, to do, how to produce it, what tone you wanted it to um, produce when you took it to the show? I don't think I'd put it quite like that. Um, I knew enough to put less wood into them to make my parts and pieces thinner, more responsive, more delicate. Um, but I, there are a lot of ways to, to um, triumph and fail if that's your only guideline. Mm. And I did. I made a guitar once that was so lightly constructed that its sound disappeared literally like pouring a glass of water on beach sand. It just went and it was gone. So I, that was a, an interesting thing to discover because it gave me a stopping point. Yeah, which is really important. Um, you set your bound. You set that. You set the. You immediately were setting the boundary. You knew that the lighter, more responsive, the guitar was going to be. But you just until you took it too far, so immediately you had your boundary of right. I can't go there. Can't go there. So how no. far do I? How do? How far can I push it? Sort of thing. Um, I was approaching what I didn't know was a limit, but I found out. And uh, really the main thing that uh, distinguishes my guitars from others is that they're more lightly constructed. I mean, I've said this over and over and over again and uh, people still manage to overbuild their guitars. Yeah. If I were to go to your shop now, uh, I can see there are guitars on the wall behind you. Yeah. Uh, if I were to, or if you were to just go up to one or more of them and tap on the bridge, let's say. Yeah. Most of them probably will give you a fairly solid sound. Um, uh, my guitars, if you tap them, they sound more like drums. Yeah. Really and that's because they're not overbuilt. I remember playing, playing one of your guitars for the first time and it really was an eye-opening experience just just because it is the just the resonance and the they are alive from the moment you from the first note they yeah. feel like they feel like they're they're alive in your hands the only trouble was is it just made me realize how much of a bad player i am so i immediately put it down uh, that's, <laughs> my guitar, that's what my guitars are designed to do yes <laughs> <laughs> have you been playing all your life or just a few years or um... I've been playing all my life but you know I, I've, I've not I am really not an, a, a, a great player um for my sins I went down the the singer-songwriter route when I was when I was younger and wow. 
I was lucky to play some great venues. I mean, I, I, I was lucky to sort of do some good support slots and, you know, played the Royal Albert Hall and a few things like that. But, um, you know, and that's sort of lucky, but I, uh, I, there's never enough time to, I have two young children now, so I, I would love dearly to squeeze a couple of hours in every day to try to, to get better. But maybe one day I will. Um, but I, now I just, I, I'm spoiled because I just get to look and hold and play very quickly. Uh, some of the most beautiful guitars in the world, yours will see included in that. And so, and well, so- I'll imagine you're busy. Well, yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely a busy time uh, at the moment. Um, and I think that, you know, it must be amazing how, I mean, you must have seen this part of the guitar industry just change so much. You were talking about that show a second ago. Yeah. Like how, how, how many attendees were, were, would have been at that, that show? What was the sort of number of people that would have been there? Well, it was many hundreds, I can tell you that. It was really quite attended, it was not sparsely attended. That was partially on account of the fact that they'd hired some big name yeah. entertainers. Um, I remember George Sacalario, who maybe or maybe not you've ever heard of him. He's a local fella, brilliant guitar player, and he played a version of Barrios's La Catedral that was electrifying. I'd never heard anything that was so uh, compelling, it was perfect note for note. And uh, he's been one of my heroes ever since. And it was that, that quality of, of playing that a lot of people came to hear. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, that's the thing that I love about, there's a, there's a, there's a number of shows, obviously, well, we haven't had any for such a long time now, but the, the boutique shows like um, the Connor or Woodstock and um, there I love I love them dearly because you get um, there's so much appreciation for you know the players when they're performing you get to sort of demonstrate the guitars and really hear them in in all the nuances that um, they produce and it's just a it's just a wonderful community uh, of, of musicians and collectors and luthiers in, uh, under one roof um, do you feel that, because when was the last time you have exhibited at any of, because I know that you've exhibited obviously at Woodstock a number of times, right? Yes, yes. That's uh, a great, is it? Yeah, over the years I, I've exhibited in, I, I don't know, many, many, many shows. Yeah. Um, I stopped doing that maybe two years ago. Yeah. Uh, for several reasons. One is I don't really need more business. Two, they're expensive to go yeah. to and, and take time away from other things. And I never sell anything. Never, never. People may approach me later, but I never mm. sell anything at a show. Um, and there used to be shows on the West Coast, but now all the shows are on the East Coast. Yeah. That's, that's just a huge schlep to yeah. take stuff and ship it and and, and um, uh, those are, in a way, festivals. And the mm. public is there, and there's noise, and uh, music, and sounds, and food, and interesting conversations. But everybody who's behind a the table, they're working. Yeah. From morning yeah. till night. It's tiring. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, on on feet, on your feet all day long. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it is abs- absolutely. Whenever I've I've sort of visited and gone around, I always used to use those as I said to you before. When I think I was I was going to the Nam show and I, I was talk we were speaking on email and. Um, I was dying of trying to jump in a car. I would have much preferred to jump in a car, driven up to you and hung out for a day. Um, well, I would have liked to have met you at that point. Yeah, yeah. it would have been great fun. And, and it will it will happen again. Um, I would definitely, I'm hoping to, to get over to, to the States quite soon, depending on um, when the travel bans sort of lift. But the, but those, you know, when, when going to sort of, even if it's a Woodstock or Lacona or, you know, whatever the show is, talking, I always use them as, a, as an opportunity to see everybody under one in one place and interview them and, you know, talk about what we've got on order or, or what we'd like to order. Yeah. Um, but it's really tiring and you get to like day two or you get to the sort of Sunday and you go around again and everybody's like, God, yeah, it's not as busy or I've been on my feet for 12 hours straight. I'm very tired. Um, but they are great to get everybody together. And that's definitely the one thing that I've missed this last year is not being able to see, you know, all of all of the Luthies that we represent and and all the friends that we represent. Um, that's been that's been sort of tough. But at the same time, I think yeah. that this sort of technology, you know, Zoom and Teams and all these, it's been great. I mean, to I, I just it, when the lockdown happened, um, the first one in sort of April time, um, I I just took it as a we we obviously create quite a lot of videos and content and try to you know blog and all that sort of stuff and um we couldn't do any of that um and so i thought i'm just going to start zooming people so i just started zooming everybody and then pressing the record button and creating a creating a podcast that was that was just basically like us on the telephone having a chin wag yeah. and uh, and it was great and so um really uh, just tried to keep it up really and continue to do it well, this is the first time I've done this. <clears throat> it's not as bad as I had feared it might be. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Well, it's quite funny because <laughs> I called you. And I thought I'm just going to double check. I, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, miss miss you. I know you're busy, so I, I sort of called to called ahead, and then said, "Oh, yeah, no, you were on your way uh, to your office." And so then I just sat down with my my daughter just before. Before I was about to put her to bed, and then I checked my email. It said, "Irvin's logged on," and I went, "Shit!" <laughs> so I just <laughs> ran, ran into the ran into the office and turned it on. And then I uh, I spoke to your colleague. He said, "No, not not quite here. Just just testing." <laughs> yeah. well, that's Christine, who is uh, sort of my amanuensis. <laughs> Hi, Christine. I see the hand waving. Hiya. <laughs> so, do you feel? I mean, do you feel that you? have obviously you have such a legacy within um the guitar world do you feel you have a responsibility especially with these books that you're passing on such information to 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 new luthiers that are coming on board other than your apprentices i mean i haven't even got on to you know your apprentices but do you get do you get emails from you know young upcoming builders that just are totally inspired by your books and is is that that must be almost as rewarding as hearing an artist play one of your guitars, like Will McNichol, for example? Um, yes, it, it's a bit of a mixed bag. I do get emails from people here and there. Um, 
commenting on how useful and valuable they had found uh, something that I've written, or um, they would like to apprentice with me, but uh, there are problems and obstacles, but maybe someday. And uh, um, I'm an immigrant. I learned English as a fourth language. I went to school, I learned all the rules of grammar and uh, syntax and spelling and all kinds of big words. <clears throat> and I like to write. And uh, um, I attribute a lot of that to Mrs. Lois Tidwell, who was my high school <laughs> English teacher. I really owe her and Mrs. Kennedy also. Um, but a lot of the people that write me, they can't spell. <laughs> just annoys me. I mean, they're really, they, they don't know the language. Um, so I, I mean, I'm not gonna correct them, but it, it certainly makes an impression, yeah. you know? Yeah. And to answer further your question, um, it's going to sound really strange, but I'm strange. So, you know, that kind of works. Um, <clears throat> I make the guitars mostly because I like doing that work. I find it calming and soothing and pleasurable. I do it slowly, methodically. I don't rush any more than I have to. And I really want to do a good job. And that's, I do that for me, not for anybody else. Mm. Um, I feel the same way about my writing. I like my writing. Um, I'm going to be dead soon. I, I, I expect maybe somebody's going to find the information useful, but I'm not consciously writing it for them. Um, it's not my job, really. My job is to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up and, and live my life. And um, so if that sounds reasonable to you, then, then I'll stand behind it. I do it because I'm good at it and it's the thing I do. The thing I, I love about your, the thing I love about your writing style is uh, it, it, you, it's, it's, it has that conversational element to it. So when reading yes. the, 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 email ex, the email exchanges, I mean, you know, we never met before, and we we I mean we've exchanged hundreds of emails, and I love how you number every single email, uh, and, and as as a reference point, it's just oh, it's yeah. great. It's just so great. That um, makes and, sense, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah abs absolutely. And uh, the dry wit that comes through in your emails, you, I mean, you got to be on you got to be on top form to to really. Un understand it or, or make sure you don't take it too personally i mean the the nag thing for me was was one of the, <laughs> the, the total so when you wrote that i thought mm, is he I, I don't know am i being is he taking the mickey or is he being <laughs> uh, no I, yeah. I do i have a silly side you know but but even when you're talking about and this is the thing that i loved about those blogs that you did for us you do remember you did like a series of seven blogs for us and um, the things that I love about even when you're talking to, to referring to Tonewoods, it, it, there's, there's, 
it's very easy in this in what we do to very, very use loads of adjectives and get very gushy oh it's phenomenal it's wonderful it's sparkly it's this you know all of that sort of stuff but when you talk about tones it's very there's an honesty to it and like an emotional element to it like we were talking about wenge for example and you were saying you know you almost feel sorry for wenge because it's a phenomenal tone wood and it creates uh, a very similar tone to brazilian rosewood but it doesn't get the love and attention that it deserves you know right. and, yeah. and 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 i just thought to myself that's a what a great way to describe a wood you know a sound a tone um and I think that, well, I, I know that a lot of our readers love reading that. Well, um, I, I don't know if you've read um, my books or part of them or not. Um, did you read the part about me as a guitar maker where I sort of introduced myself? I did. If, yeah, you, what? Have, if you haven't, uh, I'll, I'll comment. Um, I'll repeat something I say there that um, every piece of spruce that I've ever worked with, or that any of the people who've made any of the guitars you've ever had on your walls, every one of them has between 150 and 425 grain lines uh, within the, that, that small span of half the width of the, the guitar top, because that's usually cut out of two by eight lumber, uh, you know, sliced up. What that means is that piece of wood um, was alive uh, before Henry VIII yeah. uh, was on the throne. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's stunning. Before, before Leeuwenhoek discovered microbes <laughs> for the first time in human history. Yeah. Um, uh, before Spinoza uh, um, thought out his philosophy. And these woods were alive just like you and I are. And they died just as you and I will. And they had full lives. They started out from acorns that are about as big, were about as big as the button on your shirt that I see. <laughs> and they became 200 foot tall trees. I mean, just to think about that, it's really pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. And they built themselves out of the dirt that yeah. their roots went yeah. into. Um, and they, they grew, they propagated themselves, they put out leaves, they uh, held the soil together, they gave uh, food and shelter to animals, they uh, lost their leaves and uh, provided more humus to the soil, and they had life cycles. And then died, or actually were probably killed to serve our species' needs. Mm. That's, I mean, that 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 uh, Martin guitar that's behind you looks like a Martin. Oh, this, uh, this, this, that, this is true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, that has. I'm describing that wood's history. Yeah, absolutely. And the other guitars too. So I. I have a sort of reverence for these because I think they deserve some respect. Yeah, absolutely. And I think of the work that I do <clears throat> in a way as bringing dead things back to life. I was just about to say the same thing. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad attitude to have. And and the and the life and in the life cycle that they then have again 
I mean, that's the thing that blows my mind and how it can inspire a little, a, a, you know, a child to, to play music, to then, you know, go on to, you know, move into other people's hands. Yeah, it's, it, it blows my mind when you think of it on that level. I'm saying that we, we, we used to live in sort of deep East, East London uh, in the city, and then we moved out to, to Hertfordshire, and, which was great for, for my two little kids. Um, and there, there's a wood nearby us. And obviously the kids uh-huh. are always, they're surrounded by guitars. And I always tell them about, you know, what the woods are and they might ask me to play something very badly or tell me to shut up and stop playing something really badly. Um, but but when I when I go for a walk with them, we 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 always go up to the trees and we'll, I'll get them to put their hands on the trees just to sort of fit and just to explain you know this is a living creature right here and what and I always say what's underneath them they go that's the roots and I'm like where are they getting you know, what are the roots for and just getting them to understand um, just how beautiful uh, you know a nature is but also um, trees in particular. <laughs> Um, and just how that, you know, like you're saying, we're dealing with, I, I Richard Hoover from Santa Cruz, you know, just built a guitar uh, for a customer of ours. And it was made out of this ancient cowrie wood, which was something crazy. I've got a little egg somewhere here, actually. Let me just show you this. It's in here, which is this New Zealand. He, he made this little egg for me. You see that? Oh, and it's, nice. it's New Zealand ancient cowrie wood, and it's like 40,000 you know, it's dated to be 40, that 5,000 years old. And um, I, I love this little thing. And my son always plays with it. Oh, sorry. But yeah, it's just amazing how it, these things can go on and have their own life. You know, again, relive a new life. Yeah. Um, I, I, basically, for me, I, I'm working with the skeletons of dead trees that once were alive so uh, what um, would you say do you have a, a do you have a preference for i know that majority of your builds are, are, are brazilian rose but do you but do you ever have a preference of if someone could say you've got to make yourself a guitar tomorrow just for you what would you choose I would have to think about that. I um, have recently discovered Osage Orange. Have you ever heard of that? No. It's a bright yellow wood. Really, it's yellow. It's very live. It usually doesn't grow large enough for people to make much out of except things like knife handles. And in the Midwest, uh, it's actually called knife handle wood, (laughs) oddly enough. Uh, but it looks beautiful. Uh, the the uh, corner that one paints himself into, I have found, is that at first you're casting about to see what of the things that you make is going to catch on and enable you to make a living at it. In my case, it was Brazilian rosewood. And I cannot make or sell a guitar with anything but. The guitars that you had with Wenge, nobody wanted them for a long time. They're perfectly good guitars, but not Brazilian Rosewood. Mm. Uh, And I find that such an astonishing phenomenon. Yeah, me too. 
Um, Especially when you played those guitars. <laughs> yeah, but people seem to have got it into their heads that uh, this thing or that thing really is the best. And that's my reality, you know. Uh, if you talk to some of your other builders, you may find that they've had the same experience. Mm. Although more of late, a lot of guitar makers are using a variety of woods. Yeah. So they're not, they're not trapped in the thing I'm trapped in. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the, the sort of sustainability um, conversation that is... Um, that I have a lot with other luthiers. Talking about Michael Bashkin, you know, the other day, we were looking at other tone woods, and he built a beautiful OM in in Catalax, which is a great tone wood, beautiful tone wood. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's it's finding. I understand that you can get pigeonholed quite easily, as as that's the, that's your kind of go to thing. But um, it's nice to. I was, was glad. I was glad that, that well, I was a, over over the moon the fact that we got those instruments in, but they weren't Brazilian rosewood. It was something different, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I approve of that. That's good. <laughs> um, and you, um, one thing that we I, I wanted to touch on um, briefly is again, I'm, I'm sure you're very busy, but um, I wanted to talk about your artwork because at one point we were toying with the idea of you know, displaying it in some way on the website, because I just think it's so beautiful, the artwork that you created. Um, well, thank you. And, and is that, do you find, do you, do you find that's just another way of expressing yourself or is it, is it more a way to step away from guitar building or writing? Well, if you don't mind hearing the longer version. Uh, no, not at all. Uh, it's, it's nearly nine o'clock in the evening here, so you, you, you've got me, you, I'm in. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, I've always been a sort of an arty type person. When I was young, I was pretty isolated um, and I learned to be the source of my own stimulation. And that happened to be um, something that focused on pretty things to look at and nice things to do rather than, you know, fishing or something athletic or, or whatever. But I, I didn't really follow that Im impulse out in my adult life. It was there in the background, but I really hadn't done much with it, uh, unless you consider making guitars to be an extension of that. Mm. But, um, oh, about uh, 30 years ago, I went through a divorce. And uh, that was a really hard time for me. I, I was very demoralized mm -hmm. and not functioning well. So I did something that was smart. I sought out a therapist. Now, uh, in this part of the world, therapists abound. I, I think they're not quite so common in other places. I have no idea what the situation is like in England. But here in the Bay Area, if you crash your car into a tree, you know, four therapists fall out of it. I mean, <laughs> a lot of them. So, um, so I found somebody, and I don't know what experience you've had of therapy, 
but it's a very, very private and intimate mm. relationship between two people. Mm. It only works if there's trust that's been built up, mm. but there's an openness um, that is really rare. Um, you strive to get past your defenses and just be real and talk about what's really going on. Yeah. And um, at least in the early stages, the client feels very possessive of the therapist because it's the, that's the only person he's got in his life that's anything like that. And he yeah. doesn't want to share the therapist, yeah. uh, be it a male or a female. I mean, that's you know his buddy. Um, and the therapist needs to be very careful not to interject anything about their own lives because that's an intrusion that's not welcome. So... Um, if a third party enters that, um, that binary relationship, it makes waves. Uh, and I mentioned this, and she said that, yeah, years ago when she had been younger and making a family, she was doing therapy and had a, had a client, and she mentioned to him that she was pregnant and would be, you know, giving birth to a child. The guy stood up, grabbed something, threw it against the wall walked out and never came back. So that can be very explosive if you have enough sensitivity to that. Mm -hmm. So anyway, my, my therapist got pregnant and I needed to deal with that. And I woke up one morning knowing what I wanted to do, uh, which was really kind of creative, creative and unusual. I walked into my next session with her and I announced that since she was giving birth to something. Well, by God, I wanted to give birth to something too. I joined her in being pregnant. And two days later, I was making art. That was my baby, as it were. Psychologically. And if she hadn't gotten pregnant, I would not be doing that. That was wow. the, the, um, the precipitator. And it was an important one. So that was your release. That was your... Of all of the emotional yeah. uh, turmoil that you were going through with your divorce and all of the probably the pressures that you were going through with work and that the art was you know an extension of your therapy which was able for you to sort of close the close off everything and just freely open your mind and create so there wasn't any judgment there was nothing it was just you were just going to create art uh, there was great clarity in that uh, is all i can say and um, um, it wasn't a continuation of therapy. It was a resolution to a problem that mm. had arisen in therapy. Mm. And I can tell you um, authoritatively, I've loved making art. There's no money in it for me. Mm. There's no market for this kind of thing whatsoever. Mm. In this country, uh, the art gallery world, the art business, is focused on, oh, the industry uh, standard categories of uh, paint on canvas, watercolor, bronze, jewelry, ceramics, glass, and um, uh, maybe a few other things, but not wood. They don't do wood. In Europe, I think that's different, but in this country, no. Wood is not art, uh, marketable or artable. Uh, it's, it's really weird. It is really weird, especially when 
talking about trees and just that and how beautiful they are and you know if you can manipulate it into something that is has an expression to it then how can that not be beautiful um yeah i mean i'm telling you what i feel like about these things or what i feel about these things uh, and i'm describing everybody else <laughs> yeah 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 of course everything everything is subjective isn't it everything yeah. is you know that's that's that that's the thing of rather from listening to a guitar, a guitar tone, you know, to art, you know, everything is subjective. So do you think that, so for you, was that a, when you are creating your artwork, is there a, a moment, is that, is that kind of a moment of clarity where you're, where you're calm? You find that's when you're the most calm? Because you said earlier that when you create, when you're building guitars, and obviously art is throughout your instruments, that's the thing I think that is one of the most other than the tone special things about all of the instruments that you created um do you do you feel that that there's there's less pressure than when you're creating an instrument whether it's for a client or whether it's for a show or whatever when you're when you're doing your artwork you're just you're just the, the kind of the mind's open and you're creating yeah that's because there's no demand for it nobody's yeah. waiting for it the guitars that's different there are people waiting for them so yeah, this is, uh, it's a freebie. It's, and, there's, uh, and there's kind of judgment, isn't there, with anything that you're creating for something else. Yeah. There, there's inevitably a judgment. You know, you, if, uh, of course, obligation, but also I remember when I used to do, just from, from a music perspective, I'd write a song and it would be a song that I'd hope would get, go on radio. And, you know, it didn't make it onto a playlist or something, you'd be broken. I mean, like just broken, but at the time of writing it, there's the cre there's a freedom to it. So there's yeah. no, it's only when it turns from that art yeah. of I'm creating. Yeah, it's great. It's great environment where it's writing with a with with a partner or writing on your own or there's that freedom. But it's when it then starts going into, I've got to deliver this. That's only that's when yeah. you start analyzing every single little thing. Yes, absolutely. It's a different process. But listen, I, I'm wondering, I don't know you very well. Um, I'm wondering how did you wind up as a guitar dealer? Uh, it might've been because of your love with the guitar from earlier on, um, or, you know, uh, but why aren't you a lawyer or, um, <laughs> uh, you know, one of those things. I, I, I've always loved creating. I've always loved music ever since I was a child. I've always loved music. Um, I loved singing. Singing was obviously was my, one of my biggest passions. I loved writing songs and poetry or, um, and when I was about 14, I kind of caught the bug and um, it was, it was, it wasn't, I, I love music. Um, but like I said, I'm not a great guitar player, but I love writing songs. Um, and that emotional journey about things in your life, whether it's upbringing, good or bad, relationships, good or bad, um, and then that, and and that I kind of, you know, obviously, guitar was was my instrument, so I fell in love with the the beauty of the instrument. Um, I taught myself how to play a piano really badly, and that was just taking taking. Oh, I know I know what these notes are, so I'll just play them on the on the piano and. Could bash out a, a basic tune there but 
Um, you have siblings, people who uh, also shared this with you? No, I've got a lot of siblings. I've actually got, I mean, we've got a big family and there's like, I have, uh, there's six of us. Wow. Uh, yeah, so my well, mother and father got divorced when I was quite young and um, two sets of brothers and sisters, but we're all one big family. Uh-huh. Um, and that was the one thing that my, yeah. my, my brilliant dad, he, he was very, very, uh, you know, really wanted to ensure that we were all just one big family. And, but everybody's very different. Um, and for me, I, I, the music thing was, you know, I, I did, did the marketing and the economics degree and all of that kind of stuff, but I just wanted to be out on the road gigging and that's what I chose to do. So I just gigged and gigged and I mean like hundreds of gigs, hundreds and thousands of gigs up and down the country, good, wow. bad, good, bad, big, small. Um, and then that's it was really, impressive. pardon? That's impressive. Well, boy, well, you know, no, I was just, I was quite lucky. I, I did a, I can't, we should be talking about me, Irving. We're going to be talking about you. Um, I, I did a. I, you know, it, it's, I, I don't want this to be a lecture. I'd, I'd like it to be a conversation, <laughs> which goes both yeah. ways. Yeah. Well, I, and so I, you know, I just I fell in love with the guitar. I fell in love with everything about it. Um, and how it made me feel and how um, it could, I could play a song and how it would make others feel. Um, whether some people liked it and some people didn't, the ones that liked it, that made me feel good. Um, and then in, I was quite lucky, I got a song, I, I did a gig and a song of mine got heard at a gig and then I was approached by a, a radio plugger and before you knew it, I had a song on radio and then that was the kind of the journey to, in music oh, for me. Wow. But then when I came out of music, I came out of the touring side of things um, and the recording, um, there was still this thirst and passion for the guitar and everything that, that surrounded it. Um, and that was a connection that I had with my father, um, which, you know, when you've got a big family, you need to have that thing that connects you with your dad. Um, was amazing and so I remember you know we, we would talk about guitar guitars all the time I mean it was you know it would bore everybody senseless and he'd say I've just got this off eBay or I've just bought this one and oh, I can he's a musician it. also yeah he's a musician also um but I mean you know he yes in fact he I've still got my fir my first guitar which is a which is a Fender acoustic it's like 40 years old uh -huh. um I think it's an F F3 that I, that I still got, and I'm looking forward to handing it down to my son when he's when he's old enough. Or maybe I'll send it to you first, Irvin, and then you can make you can do some, you can do some tweaks to it first, and then send it back to him. Um, um, but yeah, and 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 we um, and then my we we'd never I'd never really gone down the the small workshop luthier, you know, having a custom built instrument before. Um, I'd spoken to a guy called the English luthier who I, who um wanted me to play some of his guitars and so I did and um and then my father went to purchase a guitar and fell in love with um Brent McElroy's instruments oh yeah 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 and that was literally how this all started um and he called me up and he said you've got to come and check this out I'm, I'm having this guitar completely custom built for me and I said oh wow okay so then and then we sat down and that was it. The bug was the bug was bitten, and he said, 
you know what? Why don't I, I think I think I'm gonna we're gonna start a little guitar company. And I was like, that's a great idea. And then off it went. And we he called me up and said, I found this great guy called Michael Watts who's gonna come and work with us. And and then that was how the North American guitar was was born. And um it was always the goal really to create um just a voice for luthiers and for and educate the guitar market as much as we possibly could especially in europe um outside of you know the big builders the big brands and we just wanted to you know bring in phenomenal instruments that have diversity and just you know inspire you know help help luthiers by by bringing their guitars in and and marketing them and writing blogs about them and doing videos on them and and here yeah. we are well i'm glad to know this it's so much more interesting for me to know this <laughs> than to think about my pregnant therapist you know <laughs> i actually owe that woman my life she she did me an enormous amount of good yeah i'll be grateful to her forever well yeah i'm i, I i'm i you know a number of my friends and family and you know I think I think therapy is an amazing thing. I think being able to talk openly is something that we miss greatly in this world that we live in. Oh yeah, and and, and we're in a world now where everything's driven by social media. Everything's judged. You feel responsible for everything you put out to the people. You know, but you, in this crazy cycle, I I try I kind of pulled myself. I mean, the the business, the North American guitar. We love social media. We love representing luthiers and posting beautiful pictures of beautiful guitars. That's fun. Um, personally, I stopped doing it because I stopped posting. Um, I, I, the only things I ever post about now are my children. <laughs> kids, I, I'm probably the most boring person to follow. It's either like a guitar or my son or daughter, or maybe a picture of my beautiful wife. <laughs> no, no, there are much more boring people around. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I think it's, it's kind of a cycle, isn't it? Social media where you, where now you see people, um, you hear these horror stories that people post things, you know, to get effect to, that, that, then, that then makes them first, you know, they'll see something that someone's posted that makes them feel a bit shit about themselves. And then they'll then have to post something to make them feel better about themselves and then wait for that person to then post. And it's just go round and around and around, which is, has an effect you know, on people's mental health and all kinds of things. So that's why guitars just bring so much joy to the world. So I'd rather be doing that than, yeah. than being a lawyer. And plus I'm not clever enough to be a lawyer. We don't really know that, but I, I'm glad to know you have a degree in economics. I didn't know that either. Well, it was, it was it was marketing business. It was marketing business studies, and it had a had an economics um, uh, module to it. So yeah, I I, I you know, um, I think if anything that you do uh, in this world, whether you're a musician, whether you're a luthier, an artist, you have to have some kind of business acumen to it, just because, um, you know, there is so much. That's the one thing that's great about the online world now is that there's so much potential for, you know, young entrepreneurs and, you know, anybody's, you know, you can be you know, a, an apprentice of yours, for example, someone like Tom Sands, you know, you know, what a, what a, you know, he's a great marketer, 
very fantastic yeah. on social media and photography and you know trying to build a brand and a great entrepreneur as much as he is a, a guitar builder so i think that um with the you know and even as independent you know musicians you know you're you are the booking it i'll send you a link to this interview i did with this girl girl called emma stevens who's a who's a great singer songwriter and she said essentially i'm i'm the the manager i'm the merch girl i'm the you know the touring agent i'm this i'm that and i think that's it's uh really important for you know when you're doing something that you love that's 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 you that you need to know all these things you know how to do a bit of accounting and how to you know make sure you do your returns and stuff you know well that's the life of the beginning guitar maker uh he's got to be um the buyer the seller the the uh clean up a maintenance crew, the, yeah. uh, the, uh, the day shift, the night shift, yeah. um, the janitor, uh, the, the office manager. It's really, really yeah. you know, it yeah. really is. Yeah. I remember I did the, like, the last tour that I did, I, I was, I was doing it on my own because I couldn't afford to have any other musicians and I need if, if, to, to make it financially worthwhile to do, I would just do everything. So I booked all the gigs. I drove, you know, I drove to every single gig. I would set up all of my merch every day. I'd um, load in, load out. And I remember I was going, I was late. It was in Manchester and I was late for this gig and I got there and I had this, I just had this big keyboard that I would lug around with me just to play like two songs on. But I was, I was dedica- dedicated to these two songs. So I still took this keyboard with me everywhere I went. Mm. And I, I would getting this thing up this t- tiny little pub that I was playing in, getting it up the stairs was just such a nightmare. Um, and then I, afterwards, it took me so long to break down all the all the stuff after I'd done I'd done the trying to sell some sell some CDs that I left with, and this keyboard took me so long to get down the stairs that the car park closed, and I couldn't get to my car. And I was oh. like, and that was the moment I thought. Yeah, I think I, I think I'm done with touring, <laughs> and I just had my little. Uh-huh. We just had our daughter then, so it was it was quite a challenge. Um, so, <laughs> God, we did, what what a detour that was. Um, oh, absolutely, yeah. So you'd be just talking about your your apprentice uh, apprentices before before you 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 go. Um, it must be an amazing thing because you have you have created some phenomenal guitar make me from Mario Beauregard. Uh, Michi Matsuda, Jason Costell, Tom, we've mentioned, Ray. I mean, the yeah, list just yeah, goes yeah, on and yeah, on and yeah. on and on. How does that, how does that feel that you gave them, you know, this knowledge to go and, you know, continue your work and to see them have their own careers, you know, in this guitar world? It must be incredibly rewarding. It is. It's, uh, it's, um, it's sort of a mixed bag in a lot of ways. Um, I, I like to teach. I, I don't look at these people as being competition for me. Uh, whatever success they have, they will have earned 100% of it just through their labor. So I, I, I can't begrudge them. Um, I, I'm going to stop needing my skills sooner or later. Why shouldn't they have them? If guitar making brings them pleasure, that's what they should do. You know, one thing that uh, 
is interesting about apprentices is depending on how you organize the apprenticeship. In the case of my shop, it, it's pretty intimate. We're in the same building all the time. Um, I'm the boss, but I'm a friendly boss. Um, there's not a rigid hierarchy. And things work better if and when everybody gets along. Um, and not everybody does. And one of the things I've learned is in selecting someone you're going to be teaching and training and working with, um, within the context of the fact that almost all my apprentices have been men, like, you know, half my age, give or take. So it is very, very important that I find out what kind of relationship they have with their fathers because that's their primary um, training and association with working with an authority figure. If there are unresolved issues or resentments, they will bring them with them into the shop. I am the authority figure. And if there are resentments in their home, there'll be resentments in the shop. Uh, it, it just, it's how people work. Um, their learning curve is based in what I just described as far as interacting with people. And that's all they know is how to get along with somebody in that position in that way. And I have to get a sense of what to expect. You must have seen so many personalities from the, the, the apprenticeship. And and you almost you almost you almost have to know how you're dealing with each of those different personalities and building them, you know, because it's because obviously they're looking they're looking to you as a father figure, um, you know, in 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 many ways. Obviously, as a boss and an authoritative figure, but you're, you're passing on a legacy to them, um, and so that's it. It, it is it is ama- it is truly amazing. Just from my side, uh, when 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 you know. We're so proud to represent all of our luthiers. When we are dealing with a Samoji apprentice, there is there is something that lights up in their eyes when you talk to them about their apprenticeship, and I think that that is something that is, you know, you can't you can't put words on that. You can't you know that's every single one. If I've ever interviewed them or spoken, you know, like you said, we've only really just getting to know each other properly. Um, and that's an amazing thing. Um, it, um, they're my sons. Yeah. Period. It's that personal. And, um, as I said, if they're unhappy with dad, that will show up, mm. but it is a very personal relationship uh, mm. in, in many, many ways. Uh, quite unlike when you go to college and, you know, you have a teacher and you see him, I don't know, three hours a week, and he knows more than you do, but it's, it's pretty cut and dried. Mm. There's no personal dimension to it. And being in such close proximity, being in yeah. such close proximity, that there must be such a person, you must see the highs and the lows and the challenges and the fears and all of those things that you have to nurture and support and encourage and 
mm. try to manage. Yes, it's really, it's a, it's a learned skill doing all that. It's an interesting skill to learn. Yeah. Dealing with people like that. Irvin, I just cannot tell you how it's quite an emotional end there for me, but that it is just such an honor to speak to you and to properly get to know you on this podcast. It doesn't really feel like it's a podcast. It feels like uh, I feel very lucky to, to be doing this right now. Um, thank you. Well, thank you for taking the time out to, to talk to me today. Um, and yeah, you, you, you are, I can't wait, I can't wait to, to, to read the new books. Um, and if there's anything you need for them, anything at all, then please, we're, anything we can do, we'd, we'd be honored to help you. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate uh, it. You're welcome and my pleasure. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep on being in connection with each other. I'd love that. I'd love that very much. Bye-bye, Captain. <laughs> See you later. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talking Guitar. For more information on the world's finest guitars, please visit our website at thenorthamericanguitar.com. <laughs>